Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I want to say if you are, you, you, you're joining us in week three or if you're behind the game, never fear. Go to our website, uh, catch up on the series so far. And if we go to the next slide, please, Mark. We are also pumping a book called A.W. Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. If you have not yet downloaded your free PDF copy, what are you doing? You've got to get onto the page. It's going to be such an incredible adventure that we're digging into the Word of God together. So make sure you do that with us because we are very, very excited about what God is doing. Have you got your Bibles? If you do, turn to Genesis chapter 1. I'm making it very easy for you this morning. Page 1. Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read some scripture together, and then we're going to pray, and then I'm going to preach, and then we're going to eat and drink coffee together. Is that all right? Sounds like a good morning, eh? The scripture will be on the screen behind me if you don't have your Bibles. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. We're going to read the first four or five verses, then we're going to skip a few, and then we're going to dive in at verse 26 and 27 and 28 before we pray. In the beginning, let's start again. In the beginning, you've got to say those words dramatically, hey? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. In Morgan Freeman's voice. Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Then he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness night. And evening passed and morning came marking the first day. The next 20 verses or so tackle verse day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5. We're going to pick it up in day 6 from verse 26. says this, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They'll reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Let's pray. Father, as we come before your word this morning, my prayer, God, is would you open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts, that we may know you. I pray right now, God, would you even unbox the small, limited version that we've created for you, that we've kept you contained in. Because I pray even today, would we lay aside history, tradition, would we lay aside our own, our own knowledge system, God, and say, God, would you reveal yourself through your word to us as a people? I pray this, God, would be a defining word for many of us, that we will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I just want to do a little bit of work, if that's all right, just before we get to the crux of where we're going. We want to tackle this, this, this opening stanza of this incredible book, this incredible story called Creation. It begins with these three words, in the beginning. In the beginning. If you are uh, young at heart or if you've got children, you'll know the words once upon a time. 
words that just contain so much more than just mere rhetoric and mere words. It contains adventure. It's beckoning. Every child knows or any person young at heart knows when they hear the word once upon a time, they're being not just introduced to a story, but they're invited into a whole new adventure, a whole new world. Once upon a time, time holds our attention. Okay, maybe I've lost you there. Maybe I've got to go a little bit more deeper for the more sensible people amongst us, maybe the more cultured people. How about these words? In a galaxy far, far away. Now, there we go. Got you now. Okay. I thought I lost you somewhere along the way. But, but all Star Wars fans know that even before they know the outline of the movie ahead, before they know who the villain is or what is going to happen, they just know at that soundtrack and at that, those words starting to go across the screen, they know, tell them to put on the seatbelt, we're going into a different world. It's an adventure that's going to captivate and, and consume us for generations. Those words pull us in. Now, what is happening in the Bible when the author writes, in the beginning, it is a literary device of the same understanding of saying, lean into the story. Genesis 1 is not just a biological account. It's not a biology textbook that's saying this is the account of man, origin of the species of man. No, it is a poetic writing to lean into the creator and his creation story. In the beginning, something big is about to happen. The next word says, in the beginning, God. Don't you just love that? It's like, you know those books where, or those movies where you watch for about an hour and you still don't know who the main character is. What is going on? No, no, the Bible's not like that. It tells us straight up front. There's no illusions of who the main character is here. In the beginning, God. Boom. Done. Finished. I love it. We, we, are, we are a people that are getting so submerged in this series. We want to get submerged that actually we're learning that in the beginning, there was God. Can I tell you, before the beginning, there was God. At the very end of the story, there will be God. Sheesh, this is deep theology right here. We are a people about God. Just in case you didn't know it. But we really are. Nothing was before Him. Nothing coexisted with Him but Himself. Why this is amazing, and we're going we're gonna to pick up on this as we go, this thread as we move along this, this sermon this morning is that you and I, we were not made, creation, the planet was not made out of a need in God. It wasn't like a romantic comedy moment where he said, I need you, you fulfill me. No, it wasn't that. God was fulfilled, satisfied, sufficient in himself. In the beginning, God. He didn't need any more sentences. But out of his grace and his mercy and his joy, the rest unfolds. In the beginning, God. And then we get to the next one that has captured me for for decades now, two, to be precise. <laughs> in the beginning, God created. We're going somewhere. In the beginning, God created. Now, this is huge. This is the introduction of God. God has one chance to introduce himself to the world. Now, I'm a dramatic guy. Can I tell you, if I had my way, what I would do every time I got up to preach, I'd come in from the back there. And I'd have ACDC Thunderstruck playing. Wayne would go, let's call up Gabe. You guys will all be on your feet. There would be a sign saying, applause, applause, smoke machines. And I'm actually going to come down on the zip line. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed to do those things in church. So, um. But I'm a, I'm a dramatic guy. I'm like, come on. You know, if you've got an intro, you've got to take it. No, you've got to take the introduction. 
smoke and mirrors. Let's get the, that's what the people want. Get them going, you know. But this is the sort of thing. I read this and I go, if I was God, I would have gone bigger. You know, if I was God, this is my intro. I would have come out and gone, I am God, your king. <laughs> Bands, play. Dun, 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 little marching band around, you know. I, I, can just, I can hear it. I can hear God saying, or maybe he came out and said, listen, I am Lord of the world. Something like that. Or, sorry, I have to move across. I am head honcho. Worship me. Thunderbolts, lightning, doves being released. Dramatic. If I was God. But, but God doesn't do that. In this text, it's phenomenal, and I think we skip over it way too quickly as a people, that it says, in the beginning, God created. The first picture that God introduces himself to us as a, as, as a world, he says, I am a creator. I am an artist. I am a sculptor. I am a gardener. The first six days of God and our relationship as, a, as the earth, creation, is with him with dirt on his hands, fashioning a world and shaping it and sculpting it and, and being artistic. This is the God we serve. This is amazing because can I tell you why this is fundamentally huge for us? Because for so long, I have lived with a view that God is thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening, and he's angry. Moralistic deity in the sky who's very, very nervous of our sin and is ready to give us a whack. I said the word snort club at Milton last week. I was told I mustn't say that, so I won't. <laughs> Blip, I said it. <laughs> but I'm nervous that God's going to give me a good hiding. That's, I, I have this view of God. When God says, no, the first image I give man is of an artist, a sculptor, a creator. Press pause on that. In the beginning, God created, and here comes the next one, everything, the heavens and the earth, out of Nothing. No DIY kit. God didn't wake up in the morning. Oh, I think I'm going to create an earth today. Where's that kit? You know? How to build an earth in seven days for dummies. <laughs> Ages two to eternity. Ah, perfect. No, no, no. It wasn't anything like that. There was no DIY kit. Can I tell you? He has a big one for you as well. There was no Google. Shock, horror. God pre-existed Google. I don't know how he did it. Can I tell you there was no Wikipedia? He couldn't Wikipedia. How do time zones work? Maybe that's just me. I still don't get them. It's nighttime in America now. It's daytime here, and it's Sunday evening in Australia. Mind-blowing. I don't know how God did it. Can you believe it? And another one that I, I'd stumbled on, I've been thinking and pondering for a while. I think there was... Sometimes the mysteries of the universe, you understand the mysteries of the universe, time zones and molecular science and all these things. What about hopscotch? Hopscotch. It's that, that ancient mystery that, that young girls do, that young boys have no clue what's going on. We watch them like, what are they doing? They have, there's, there's some... some Participants with a rope skipping. And then others are going on those, you know, those blocks, they've drawn blocks that we have no clue why, random ancient markings on the floor. And we were watching, and the girls were going, Frere and Jacques, ah, oh, I messed up, back to the beginning. We're like, how did they mess up? 
We have no clue. And then when they finish with the game, we go over to these, these markings and we look and we're like, we have no clue what this means. The mysteries of the universe. <laughs> Only young girls and God knows how hopscotch works. <laughs> but I digress. I want to tell you that God created everything we see out of nothing. Now, this is not just some emotive language. This is a theological concept. Uh, the Latin word is ex nihilio, which means out of nothing. And the- theologians say this is massive for Christianity, for our belief system of God. Why? Because I want to tell you the majesty of God is magnified when we see him through the lens that he commands nothingness and nothingness obeys him. There was nothing to obey him and nothingness yet, okay, I will obey you. Wow. Wow. In the beginning, God created heavens and earth out of nothing. I want to tell you, if you ever start to doubt the word of God, think on this. God can issue a command that is so powerful that if nothing is there to obey, the word itself brings forth its own obedience through creation out of nothing. Wow. Ex nihilo. Let me tell you this thing, that this is so fundamental. And I want to show off that I went to university. Not really, but maybe you, this, is, this is key for some of us. Some people, we need to understand this. That this fact alone, that in the beginning, God, with no counterpart around him, no, no extra agent that he created out of nothing, is huge because philosophically and theologically, it deals a death blow to a whole range of th- philosophies that have attracted man's thinking for years. If we believe that, it deals a death blow to dualism. Now, what dualism expounds to us is understanding that there's this fight, this yin and yang fight of good versus evil. Who will come out on top? God versus evil. But if we understand that he was there before it all and he created out of nothing, we go, there was no one else for him to compete with. It's not a competition for him. Can I tell you, the demonic powers have no authority besides the ones he's given it for a time. Wow. It's not a competition. Can I tell you, it deals a death blow again to polytheism, which means there are many gods. God says, really? I looked, there was no one. <laughs> there was nothing. There was no competition. He was, not, he was alone besides himself. Deals a death blow to that. Can I tell you, it deals a death blow to pantheism. You know that, that idea, if you want to know what pantheism is? Avatar. Anyone seen the movie Avatar? Okay, thank you. Appreciate that, that honesty as I back there. But, you know, we, we, the, the, the thinking is that God is God, but also the tree is also God, and the li- majestic lion, and the antelope. No. God is the creator of those, but we understand the first page that it deals with, you can't believe in pantheism if you believe that, understand that in the beginning God created. Mother Earth was not in existence with Daddy God. It wasn't. Because we see in the beginning, in the beginning, God, he created everything. He created earth out of nothing. If earth existed with him, or there was a, then that too would be God, but that is not the case in the scriptures. So this is massive for us as people, because we have to understand where we stand. In the beginning, God. All right, so what are we doing this morning? We are looking at God is creator. God is creator, and this I promise you, by the time we finished, we'll change your life. Or money back guaranteed. (laughs) 
Can I say that in church? <laughs> because we have a creator. Three points and I'm done. Because we have a creator, number one, on the screen behind us, it gives us this understanding. We are not the point. Because we have a creator, creator number one, we are not the point. How freeing. Right now, everyone, because you just heard that, you can all take a deep breath and go, oh, thank goodness, I'm not the point. Whew. The pressure is off. He is God, and you are not. Yay. What a relief for a lot of us to hear, when I think a lot of us feel we are, because we're the center of our own world. If I don't, if I, don't, if I stop, everything's going to fall off. No. He is God, you are not. This is His show. So much so, that even that breath that I asked you to take, you didn't take it, he gave it to you. <laughs> As if he goes, oh, I just took a breath. Really? <laughs> like I, I gave it to him. Yeah. Wow, what an incredible blessing. Can I tell you so much so that even if he removed his breath from you, you and I would drop down dead right now. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 1 verse 3, not only did he create the world, but he sustains the world. And which also, again, deals a death blow to deism, which is a, a, a philosophy that understands that God created, then removed himself. Get on with it. No. Because he created and he sustains it all right now by the word of his mouth. Can I tell you, if he pulls himself back, if he says, stop, if he says cease to be, you cease to be in a moment. God. In the beginning, God. Can I tell you, not only is the fact that we are not the point very freeing, it also reminds us that we are utterly dependent. Something we don't stress enough in church environments because, can I tell you, there's only one who is the point? It's him. And when we understand that he is the point and we are not, and actually that we, the very breath we breathe is from him and him alone, we start to realize that we are not the kings of this world. We are utterly dependent on the creator. Now, this, when I, this is massive for us because when I think of the picture, just to let you know, Emmanuel and Jen, anyone know Emmanuel and Jen? Els in the church, they had their baby this morning, which is very cool. Yeah, sorry. Just thought I'd take a cheap woo. They had their baby this morning, but can I tell you, as amazing that baby is, that baby cannot look after itself. That baby this morning, as amazing it is, is knocking up and saying, I'm going to have breakfast now, mom. Where's the Kellogg's? Mom! Where's the Kellogg's? No, 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 no. That baby cannot do anything. And I promise that's how we are in relation to the Creator. Apart from Him, we can do nothing. As much as we trumpet our own voices, as much as we beat our chest, can I tell you, the Creator is watching in mirth going, look at them go. Marching around, the elephant and the ant, the ant thinking, look at how fast we're moving. The ant's like, really? Can I tell you, when we understand we are not the point, it's very freeing, but it also reminds us we're utterly dependent. We're going somewhere. Point two, because we have a Creator, it shows us that we have a purpose. You and I are not merely floating aimlessly through a cosmos with no plan or purpose. Now let me say this with reverential fear and trembling. Sir, man, you are not just a product of a night of cheap wine, passions running high, Barry White on the stereo, and bad birth control. Can I tell you again, you're not just a biological addition to your family tree. If we understand we have a creator, 
we have to realize that God is not just, he's not whimsical and he's not frivolous. If you look at the ordered account, can I tell you, he was so, he had so much purpose in his week, that first week of creation, so much purpose that he even scheduled in a nap on day seven. You know someone has their week under control when they're having a nap in it. Mm. Relaxed, can I tell you. Let me tell you, you're created with purpose. Francis Schaeffer says it this way. He says the words, in the beginning God created are the most pregnant, pregnant words in the English language. He said they're so pregnant with purpose, pregnant with anticipation. In the beginning God created shows that he had a purpose. The way God designed this he- the heavens and the earth was on day two to day five, he s- day one to day five, he spoke and things became. Out of nothing, it obeyed. He spoke, he said, let it be light. And light said, yes, sir, and obeyed him. He said, let there be, let there be, and he spoke into existence the waters, the heavens, the skies, the land, the, the animals, the, the microbacteria, the, from the smallest to the greatest uh, galaxy he created by the word of his mouth. He spoke and exploded into existence. But then, I hope you notice, he changes tact in day six. If you read that scripture at home, Suddenly something changes, his whole modus operandi changes, he's no longer just speaking. Day six he comes, and the creator bends low over creation, and he gets down onto his knees, and he starts to form out of the dust of the earth, mankind. Something totally different, this is not the way he's dealt with all of creation, he gets to this part, it's totally different. And this moment is not just some... uh, like a random act. It's not like a child playing in the sand on the seashore, building something and then, oh, wave it, so let me change it a little bit. No, no, this was, a, this was an artist, sculpture, gardener at work, fashioning something out of the dust. This is not a moral adjudicator in the sky. This is a creator, forming man. And he says these words, let us make man in our own image, in our likeness, something that he had not said about any other of the creation. Up to that point, he said about every other creation, let them reproduce after their own kind. But about man, he says, I'll make them in my image, in my likeness. And this is a verse 26 and verse 27, what theologians call the imago Dei, I-M-A-G-O-D-E-I, the image and likeness of God. It's put in you and I. Can I tell you, the height of creation is you and I. The stars, the mountains, the waterfalls, the wildlife will display His glory. All of it displays His glory for His glory. But there's only one creation that carries His likeness. You and I. Now this is massive because it shows us that we were created from God, but we were also created for God. From His image and likeness, He fashioned us, and He created us for Himself. Now we're going to do a little bit of work. Is that all right? Everyone okay? Good. Most preachers, why am I laboring Genesis 1 this morning? Because most preachers will preach from the viewpoint, from the heart motive for the understanding that the Bible begins for them in Genesis chapter 3. 
Genesis chapter 3, if you're unfamiliar, Genesis 1 and 2 deals with creation. Genesis 3 is the fall where man sins and rebels against God and says, I want to be the head honcho. I want the glory. Not you. I want it. I want to be God unto myself and spun everything out of control. Most preachers will start in Genesis 3 and they'll throth and they'll spit and they'll shout and they'll tell their congregations week in, week out, you are sinners! <laughs> Depraved! Where is my handkerchief? And they'll do that labor and you'll leave rotten to the core feeling, I am a sinner. And can I tell you, they're not wrong entirely. We are. Because of Genesis 3, we are born sinful. But can I tell you, the problem with that is that if you start in chapter 3, you reduce mankind to its lowest form of depravity. And here is an incredible, incredible insight for you. The Bible doesn't start in Genesis 3. Deep. How deep is that? It starts in chapter 1. How's that, eh? Wow. Exegesis. I'm a preacher. Let me tell you why that's amazing. Because actually when you start with chapter 1, with understanding He is the creator and we are creation made in His image and likeness, it doesn't reduce us. It elevates our worth and restores our dignity. Let me explain it more. I met a man in Zimbabwe called Dr. Shana. He's a head of an evangelical church in Zimbabwe. And he taught me this a few years ago, and it's never left me, that he says, the church of three options in response to this theology. If we start in Genesis chapter 3, number one, A, the only way we can respond is that the church must reject the world Get as many people saved and wait for the rapture. If we start in Genesis 3, the world is sinful and man is broken and depraved. Then what we do is we bunker down, we throw out grenades, get saved, you'll go to hell. And we tell our children, sing Kumbaya louder, louder, drown out Katy Perry's voice, sing louder. First option if we start in Genesis 3. The second option is that the church must lead or challenge aggressively. If we start in Genesis 3, the world is sinful, man is broken and depraved, then we just need to Christianize the state. Get someone Christian in power, then we can change the government, then we can fight the laws and change it all. But here, I believe, is the correct option for us. The third option is actually if we don't start in Genesis 3, but we start in Genesis 1, that we are dealing with imago days. Human beings made in the image of God. Yes, sinful, but primarily made in the image of God. Can I tell you, then the church must serve the world. Instead of throwing rocks, wicked people, instead of picketing, we rather engage with the pain, we start cultivating and creating in their dirt. Just like our Creator did. Can I tell you? Because we are made in Imago Day, the image and likeness of God, we don't hide away. We go, the church goes where there is nothing. Just like our Creator did. We go where darkness exists just like our Creator did. We call light out of darkness. We don't call darkness and, and accuse it from a distance. Can I tell you? This 
is understanding Imago Day. If you want a clearer picture, look at Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 tells us he is the image and likeness of the Father. Jesus said this, he said, if you've seen me, you've seen my Father. He is the perfect representation of God. Can I tell you, Jesus, this is how he did. He said, I came not to lord it over, but to serve. I came to serve. And he went so low, he served us so well, he went so, his serving nature was so huge, he modeled it for us that he served all the way to death on a cross. We became our sin, became our nothing, became our broken depravity, so much that he went so low that he was buried into the very, very dirt that we were created from. The creator became the created in a sinful way. We're called to copy our creator. Third point, and I'm going to land with this one this morning. If we have a creator, we understand we are created for his pleasure. Mark spoke about this last week, the term perichoresis. C.S. Lewis made it popular in the understanding of what was God doing before creation. In the beginning, there was God. Before the beginning, there was God. And, and if you missed God is the Trinity. Last week, go have a listen to it. But the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit living in perfect union, perfect community. It's the dance of the Trinity where they were um, submitting to one another out of love and their perfect love, perfect joy, perfect pleasure. They, were, they, were, they had no lack inside of them. They had no need inside of their nature, which is so great as I reminded us that we were not made to fulfill a need in God. If we had to fulfill a need in God, he was lonely. He needed friends. He wouldn't be God then. You were not made to be his friend because he was lonely. I want someone to play with me. Holy Spirit's been so unkind. No, perfect. <laughs> perfect union. I appreciate that laugh, Tanaka. It was beautiful. You're made in his image, Tanaka. But can I tell you, you were not made to fill a void in God. Can I tell you, you were made out of his delight. It was so, he was so full of delight, so full of joy, so, so full of perfect union in himself, pleasure in himself, that he thought, this is too good to be contained. I, have, I want to invite, out of his nature of pleasure and love, he invited us into that story. This is amazing, because when I, if I have creative license, if I look at the creation story, I start to understand that actually day two, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, I can feel a sense of anticipation building. Almost God saying, they go, look at the giraffe, it's amazing. And he goes, you haven't seen anything yet. Wait, just wait. They're like, Table Mountain, this is gonna be one of the seven best cities in the world, if not the best. That's what he said, he's quoting. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's great, it's amazing, but you haven't seen anything Yet, he says, wait till day six. It's like when you go to a, a lunch. I don't know if you've ever been to a lunch, but you know that that person, when I go to lunch in my mom's house, she makes good lunches. But the desserts, oh, they're good. And it's like, you know, you're, like, you're tolerating the, 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 this is lovely. What's coming next? What's coming next? And that's what it almost was like. It's like, just wait, the proof is in the pudding. It's coming. It's coming. The height of what I'm doing is coming. This thing of what I'm wanting to build here, this world is an artist, a creator, a sculptor, a gardener. It's coming. And this is so huge because in Ephesians 1, if you have time later, go read Ephesians 1. It's filled with creation language. Where he's talking about creation and his relationship with God and man, that we are created for his pleasure. It says that. It says that we were chosen according to his pleasure, not to fulfill a quota. Thank God. He did not say, oh, 
I need a few more redheads. I was told I needed 20. No, I was not made to fulfill a quota. I am not a BEE representative of God's redhead nature. He does not do BEE. He has you designed in his image for the purpose he knows you. He's not made a mistake. He's not trying to fulfill an error. No, he's done it. It with accuracy and perfection. And also he did not do it begrudgingly or haphazardly. He did not create a, oh, does he come in blonde? No, oh, fine. No, no. This is the story of God and creation. This is massive. We are chosen according to his pleasure. And I learned this years ago when my family were living in Zimbabwe and uh, we would come on our yearly annual pilgrimage to South Africa for a holiday. We would, uh, we'd leave those, 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 those shops in Zimbabwe. We had a shop called TM. You buy everything in TM. You buy your maize there. You get your stamps there. You buy your books there. You buy your groceries. You buy your toys. You know, everything. One size fits all. Come to TM. Everything. Then we came to this place in South Africa called a mall. Anyone, anyone heard of them before? Mall. It's a noun. M-A-L-L. Mall. We were foreign to us. But there were shops for everything, any type of thing you would want that had its individualized store. And there was things, pleasures like Fresca. Wow. Anyone remember Fresca? Wow. The good old days. But we came to this place and there was one store that captured three little boys' imaginations. It was called Toys R Us. Or as we knew it, Toys Russ. We always thought, who is Russ? And how does he own all of these toys? And we realized, Toys R Us. Creative license. Toys are us, but it was incredible. And we were, go, we were ushered in by my parents, and we didn't have a, a large bank account. So my parents said, listen, three little redheads panting, ready to go. Release us into this glory realm. And uh, my parents said, listen, guys, you, you're able to choose one toy. We're here for 30 minutes, but one toy. It's a big eyes, like, here we go. And it was almost like Reggie Rush on steroids was released <laughs> as we sprinted. It said, go. And we would go up and down, up and down each aisle. Whoa! And then this one, no, no, whoa, too much. And the next one, oh my gosh, no, wait, 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 aisle three. And just, it was crazy. It was kind, just looking for the perfect toy. And then uh, eventually my father would whistle, uh, a whistle that only dogs and redheads could hear. <laughs> and we knew it was time up. And we would run to the counter. But we would come, shaking with anticipation because we had chosen the one toy. And it was like this. I've got it. This is the one. I want this one. And it was out of a sense of joy and anticipation and delight that we got to choose this one. And when Ephesians 1 tells us that we were created and chosen according to his pleasure, I have an image of an ADHD redhead (laughs) running through a store, minus the ADHD and possibly the red hair. Maybe not. I don't know what color God's hair is. But let me tell you. The truth of the matter is that God was creating us according to his pleasure, with joy in our hearts. And that was incredible. And this is so amazing because actually the fact is that he created us in his image. He has put the design and the desire for pleasure in your heart. It's not from Satan. You're made in the image and likeness of God, a people who we are made for pleasure, from pleasure and for pleasure. Can I tell you the only problem, though, for us is this, or should I say the only joyful 
conclusion for us is this, is that we can only be fully satisfied in the one who holds ultimate pleasure. If we were designed for pleasure, we can only find ultimate satisfaction in the one who holds pleasures at his right hand forevermore. And that's the problem. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, it's not because we have too, our desires are too strong, he says, it's because our desires are too weak. We've become so easily satisfied with insipid things. We've become satisfied um, with small and trite things, with, with sex and money and lust and, 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 and relationships and, and, all, and pursuit of fame and small pleasures when he says, I have pleasure for you. Not a moralistic adjudicator in the sky. Can I tell you, we are actually too easily satisfied. We're stopping before the main course. Inside of every single person, he has put like a, a device, like a homing pigeon inside of us. A homing pigeon that's released will disappear, but then come back. Always will return to the place it's called. Can I tell you, there's a, in our side our DNA, we are formed and fashioned that with oh, the only thing that will satisfy the pleasure-seeking uh, nature inside, the hedonistic nature inside of our hearts, is the one who holds pleasure. The one who created us for pleasure, from pleasure and for pleasure. He's the one who holds it, and he's inviting us into that. Can I tell you, you will never be satisfied until you come home to that pleasure. Now, this is massive. Let me land this in this area. Flick your Bibles if you want to, or just in your imagination. We flick our way to the middle of the text where a man named Jesus, the image and likeness of God, comes to earth to show us what the Father is like. He bears our sin. He gets crucified, and then he's laid. Joseph takes him down and lays him in a tomb, in a grave. And in our minds, we, we, we think of a grave we think of this like very massive, roomy, spacious place. No, no, no. This was a hole in the ground covered by a big rock. Jesus was laid in the dirt. The Bible tells us that he was crushed. This wasn't a polite, neat and tidy death. He was crushed almost like to nothing. He was laid in darkness, it tells us. It says the Bible, Jesus, Philippians 2 says he became nothing for us. And I can imagine the... In this moment, Dave, on Friday, dead, darkness, nothing. Saturday, dead, darkness, nothing. Until Sunday, the Spirit of God moves past the stone into the tomb. And I can imagine in a moment, as the, as the Spirit of God came hand to hand, mouth to mouth over the Son of God, the human form, the, crea the Creator who was carrying the creation in His heart, the Spirit of God went, Yod, hey, va, hey, the breath of life, exists in Christ, and Christ rose again from the dead, defeating Hades, the sting of death removed, and canceling the record against us. In a dramatic moment, the life of God came back into him in a garden, and this is amazing. John chapter 20 tells us this. It gets to a point where creation is still mourning the death of Jesus. Ladies are sitting in the garden weeping. Where have they? They can't find Jesus. The stone is being moved. They said, robbers have come and stolen them. This is terrible. What are we going to do? And it says, Jesus was walking in the garden, but they did not recognize him. And they looked up and Jesus says, why are you crying? And as they looked at Jesus, this, this, this sentence that, that I think will slip most people's attention is in John chapter 20. It says this, the ladies thinking that he was the gardener. They had known this man for many years. 
But I want to tell you this. The first glimpse of the resurrected Christ after death was that of a gardener with dirt on his hands. The first picture we see in Genesis 1 is of a creator, a sculptor, an artist, a gardener. The first picture of Jesus after death, he says, the creator has returned. And I'm wanting to go to work. Can I tell you, the creator has dust on his hands. Jesus is the creator, the designer, the sculptor, gardener, who makes things out of nothing. He reversed the curse. In that moment, he reversed the curse. And can I tell you, he did not stop in Genesis 3 and said, you're going to get a second chance. He reversed it back to Genesis 1 and said, you are the image and likeness of me. Not just redeemed sinners, but people who carry the Imago Day. This is the gospel. Can I tell you, why, what is the implication of all this this morning, all this talk? If you say this morning, there's nothing good in me, Gabe. My heart is rotten. I've gone in, I've looked at my heart, and I'm rotten to the core. The things I've done, thought about, the things that I thought about doing. Can I tell you the good news? If there's nothing good in you, he makes beautiful things out of nothing. Can I tell you, if you sing here and say, there's nothing good going on in my life, I've got nothing left to live for. Sat with a man this week who told me, I've got nothing left to live for. And I was just so grateful that I could actually tell him, let me tell you what my God does with nothing. Let me tell you, it is, it is his modus operandi, it's what he's done from page one until the very end. In the beginning, God created out of nothing. And he's still doing it today. Can I tell you, nothing is perfect conditions for him. Just give him your nothing. I want to tell you this morning, welcome to Margo Day Christianity. We have dust on our hands. We've got his breath in our lungs. It's time to get to work. I want to pray. Can we stand? Father, this morning as we pray and land this sermon and God is creator and we have to do work and ponder on these texts and these themes and think about them. I pray right now, God, you're raising our view, raising our hearts from small-minded trivialities. You're here not just to make us neaten up our sin. That is not what you're here to do, God. You're not here to order our sinful lives in a better way. You're here to raise dead men to life. You're here to raise dead women to life. You're here, here to take religious people and remind them, you are made in the image and likeness of a creator. And God, you're reminding our church right now in this moment that we are called not to be hiding away, not to be throwing rocks from a distance, but to be called to carry your breath, carry your name and have dust on our hands. In the brokenness, in the nothing, in the dark, that is where your church, your Margo day will be found. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.